I'm Sean Sheehan. And I'm Rodney Robinson. And this is the Teachers Caucus Podcast. This meeting of the Teachers Caucus is now in session. I am Sean Sheehan, and back in the building, the the virtual building, so to speak, with Rodney Robinson. Rodney, man, I missed you. How are you? I am great. I just want to start off the podcast by saying E A G L E S (laughs) Eagles. We're in the bowl, baby. (laughs) There you go. I mean, yes, yes. I'm going for Jalen, so I'll, I'll go Philly. Yeah, Oklahoma gets to claim him. The Alabama folks are trying to claim him. It's like, no, <laughs> you don't get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Except for if you're listening in Alabama to the Teachers Caucus, then you can go ahead and claim him all you want. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, speaking of Oklahoma, love, we got also our producer. Who, if you, you were on one of the episodes, but welcome, Joel. Joel, how are you doing? In Oklahoma. Hello, hello, gentlemen. I'm good. I am good. I am also excited to see some Super Bowl action this weekend. Distracted, dis- distract myself from all the things going on here in Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, <laughs> my buddy in Phil, I used to live in Pennsylvania. A uh, buddy of mine up there said that one of their talk shows up there, sports talk radio he listens to, is doing a road trip to the Super Bowl. And they detoured to Oklahoma to see where Jalen and Lane Johnson came from. Uh, and said some pretty cool things, you know, for people who have never <laughs> been here, there are some redeeming things about this state. There are some cool things. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things to bitch about, but, uh, it was pretty cool to hear these guys from Philly sports talk radio driving through Oklahoma, uh, saying, hey, this is where Jalen, this is where there's that video of Jalen hurts. What squatting like 600 pounds. Yeah. And, uh, yep. that's pretty cool. So anyways, yeah. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Yeah, I said, well, and I've been watching The Last of Us, and Joel, you and I have talked about Rodney, do you watch The Last of Us on HBO? I, I think my wife watches it. I don't, okay. I don't watch much TV nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with all the abundance of time that you, you have, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I saw they're bumping that up, though. It releases on Sundays, but they bumped it up to Friday release to not compete. <laughs> with hey, know your place. Yeah. Know your place. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we had to do one more. We kind of left the podcast hanging off of, uh, it was an episode I did with two of my colleagues from Texas Tech. And I've had folks reach out and they were like, hey, like, what happened? You know, you guys had kind of mentioned that your pace was slowing down, but you did a full stop. Uh, and we didn't do like a proper exit. So I wanted to, and I'm grateful that you guys made time for it to just like do a proper kind of send off on the podcast, reflect on, um, you know, we gave it a good full run for over a year. Um, and so just, just to talk a bit about where we are now and what, what's going on in our States. And then I wanted to close us out with some memorable moments. There are a lot to choose from, but there were definitely a couple, uh, that, uh, you know, and I'll be interested to hear what we, for the listeners, we haven't like prepped for this at all. This is all just like, Hey, what did you think? Uh, so I'll be interested to see if we, we pick the same moments or, or what. So, uh, I'll kick it off with just kind of an update on Texas. So, and just, you know, a little bit of my own personal news still, uh, moving forward with the the plan to get certified to be a principal. Right. So I've, I've checked uh, almost all the boxes. I've got one more thing to do. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, I imagine I'll be interviewing here, uh, probably late March, early April. So I'm excited for that. And, um, whatever school picks me up, you guys are lucky. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky. Very yeah, dot, dot, I, you know, I'm gonna pat myself on the back, but uh, in the state, you know, um, after elections, no major changes to report. You guys saw Beto gave it a good run, and then you know he fell flat. 
the good news is we're looking at a near $33 billion surplus in the state, which is just like, uh, it's a good spot to be in. Um, I understand a lot of that rules revenues came from obviously oil. They came from sales tax. Uh, they came from new vehicle sales is actually, I think like the second or third highest revenue generator for the state. Um, so now we've got just, uh, now, like uh, to quote, I saw on like the Texas Tribune. I think they were talking. They were saying like the sharks are in a frenzy, so all the bills are getting filed because they want to. They want to have their you know chunk of this cash, and one pie. of the yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, one of the ones a lot of folks are talking about here this is the uh, one by Reptile Rico for fifteen thousand dollar raise for teachers, and I, I checked out the bill just before I hopped on here. You know, he's got kind of the salary step laid out, um, and that's. You know, that's nothing to to turn your nose up at. I'm skeptical that it'll pass in its current version, but it was a great signal to the legislature, which is now in session, to say, hey, like, uh, you know, we definitely we we're we're talking about teacher recruiting and retention issues. And so we've got to get more funds to teachers. Both the governor and lieutenant governor had increasing teacher pay on their legislative priorities. And again, we know the politics of our state. Actually, the, the politics of our three states are fairly similar right now in this moment in time. Uh, <laughs> but to have that uh, vocalized from both the governor and lieutenant governor is a, is a good, you know, and I don't want to be hopefully not uh, naively optimistic, but it's a good sign. Um, so in that regard, it's good. You're still, We still see the school choice stuff. We still see some of the goofy things that are going to play out through the legislative session. We've got a cleanup, uh, HB 4545, which was, it was kind of punitive in terms of like, if you failed a, a state assessment, you know, you've got more tutoring hours you have to do. Um, but that's just kind of a high level, like what's, what's happening in Texas. So let's go over to the East coast. What's in, what's going on in, with you, Rodney first. And then what's going on in Virginia? <laughs> uh, what was going on with me is just, uh, I'm stuck in a world of teacher retention and teacher recruitment. Um, it's been something that my district has, squarely put on my plate uh, teacher retention and teacher recruitment. So we're running a teacher retention task force. Um, we're trying to give teachers more voice. For example, um, our district just is allowing teachers to create the school calendar for the next two years to where, you know, we're being, we're trying to slide in just those break days and different things that would make teachers happy so that oh, yeah. they will stay, stay in the field and, um, so doing that and um, nationally still we're out uh, campaigning for teacher finance. Uh, last couple weeks ago, of course, we I was on a panel with Congresswoman Frederica Wilson who introduced the American Teacher Act. And, of course, Ellen, who was a guest on our show, she invited me to come up. And, of course, you know, the American Teacher Act is just broad view. is just a bill designed to give every teacher in the country, $60,000 starting salary and um, a cost of living increases for those who are already at teacher at 60,000, you know, it's going to cost 53 billion, 53 or $54 billion. Uh, and it was introduced last week by Jamal, by Fred, Fred, I struggle saying her name, Congresswoman Wilson yep. <laughs> and Jamal Bowen, of course, who's a former educator himself and so I'm really excited about getting that work, and hopefully we can get some, you know, broad-based appeal from the other side of the aisle and get get it going. Uh, in Virginia, it's amateur hour. Planning <laughs> some, I don't know what other way to describe it. Uh, we we elected a governor, 
and then a, a lot of new legislators um, in our house last year or two years ago, and they simply don't know how to run government. And so we're dealing with the fallout from just bad policy. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, we have the Democrats who control the um, Senate in Virginia, so they're they're like stonewalling all the crazy stuff that's going on, and you see in like Florida, all that same stuff is going on. But we luckily have a safe wall in our Democrat, our Democrats. But it's just little things. Like for example, we have a giant surplus in Virginia as well, and which everyone say, hey, this would be a good idea to fund education. Nope, we're gonna give tax cuts as usual, which is the same old right. song they sit, song and dance. Um, and one thing they did that you know they're fairly embarrassed about, but it also shows how what I mean when I say amateur hour was they cut the grocery tax in the state of Virginia. I think it was like maybe a half percent or one percent grocery tax, uh, and but that funds education. And then when they sent out the state budgets to all the school districts, they didn't calculate in the fact that they did cut out the grocery tax. <laughs> and so now the state is $200 million short in funding for, for education this year and next year. And so, you know, in the, of course, in the suburbs, they're not going to see that. But in districts like mine, where every penny is counted for, that's $3.2 million we're going to lose over the next two years. And then those little small rural districts, you know, you're talking 750,000 to somewhere like that's major to, to a school district of just say a thousand kids. That's a major amount of money. And so there's, they're trying to fix it right now, but I don't know if they're going to fix it because it's just such gridlock. I mean, nothing's getting done in our government because like I said, the governor and the house are conservative. The Senate in our state is, um, Democratic, so we're just in gridlock, amateur hour government, and kids don't deserve free meals. Literally, we had a, a Congress, a House of Representative member say that last week. I mean, you would think a bill to feed to create universal school lunch would be nonpartisan, but no, he said no. Well, not him. A lot of them said no. Because some kids can afford to have lunch, and so why should everybody get it free when someone can afford it? That was literally their logic. So we're just dealing with that crazy white nationalist Christian backlash. But thank goodness we have a Senate that is standing up to that. Hopefully this year we have some elections, so of course it's election year, and maybe we can take control of both houses, and maybe that'll force... Governor Yunkin to the table. Of course, after his failed presidential bid, everything with him is about running for president, and he's clearly not going to win. And so it's just like, just focus on Virginia and getting us straight. But it's been it's been an interesting time, I just say. You know, everyone's getting their blood pressure up, and I'm like, nothing's going to happen. You know, don't, no need in getting upset about it. But, you know, that's what's going on. And I know uh, Joel in Oklahoma has, you know, one of the – Greatest state superintendents in America, in Oklahoma. So, you want to talk Heavil- a little bit about heavily decorated and beyond <laughs> capable, beyond capable. I mean, the resume is two sentences long. I mean, this guy. I mean, he is no okay. But I, I, yes, we'll talk about that in a second. I just, Rodney, think, talking about what you said, I heard something today on the radio um, of uh, that the, they were talking about how conservatives want to run government like business. 
and just a lot of things you were saying there, just, you know, we want, you know, we, you know, businesses don't hand things out. Businesses don't, yep. businesses are, you know, we're built to make, make a profit. But then the whole idea that government is based off of a deficit, right? Yep. I mean, from the 13 original colonies, they consolidated their debt to form a government. I mean, and so this whole idea of governments are not businesses and government's goals are not to turn a profit, but you get all these ideas and you, you tend to be more conservative thinkers and, and, and leaders who say, you know, we got to cut, you know, for instance, for whatever reason, we're not going to give kids free lunch. I don't know. That's going to increase the deficit, <laughs> whatever, you know, X number of reasons, but just a very interesting, you know, uh, parallel there of how we see local government all the way to, you know, you know big government. Yeah. And, and the people that need government the most are the ones that are going to be hurt by these ideas, which is ultimately the saddest part about the, that mentality. Well, and coming here to Oklahoma, where we have some of the lowest education numbers in the country, some of the worst health uh, data, uh, you know, unhealthiest citizens in the country, um, they're working it to, to privatize or um, managed care, our um, um, sooner care for kids, you know, state insurance, all these kinds of things. But Education wise, I, it's it's entertaining. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean we're to the point use. where you can't just you can get mad. I mean, and you can get all bent out of shape about it. Uh, you know, there were some closer closer races this year um, for governor and superintendent. I mean, it wasn't a bygone conclusion that both races were going to end up uh, with the Republicans winning, but you know, it's Oklahoma. So if you don't assume it, then you're <laughs> talking, but I mean, it's for instance, Ryan Walters, like two weeks ago, presented what, what, what the, the house of representatives and the senators thought was his, who's going to present his budget. He presented his predecessor's budget and kind of talked around it. And then finally some of his Repu Republican senators were like, Hey, where's your budget? Oh, yeah, I'm working, you know, essentially, oh, I'm working with that. I'm going to come out with that soon. So why did you show us your predecessor's budget when you are going to change it? I'm, we're assuming you're going to change it, right? I mean, it's just it's like, what, I, what, is the, what is going on? Um, you know, I've got some friends in the State Department. They're all just trying to lay low, dot their I's, cross their T's, don't show up on the radar, and they think they're going to be okay. Um, and God bless them. Uh, but, you know, we... He, he, he cut the teacher pay raise budget in half and wants to do in, and wants to really install incentive pay, but has, I mean, I watched uh, the, the hearing, I watched parts of it where he was giving his own budget second time around. He has no clue. There is no plan. There is literally no consensus on how he is going to dole out incentive pay. Um, you know, and it's all about, and he wanted to base it off of uh, uh, evaluations. But what if a teacher, you know, because currently in Oklahoma, if you get a highly effective or whatever, you don't have to really be observed for another uh, like two years, right? You're, you're kind of off the hook for two years. So all of a sudden you get the pay raise, right? Oh, I'm incentive pay. I'm a highly effective teacher. Um, you get a new administrator three years later who doesn't really care for what you're doing, or maybe he's going to pick apart something differently than your previous administrator did. Are you just going to lose that pay? So is it more of a stipend or is it a pay raise? I mean, it's just, there is no level of, it, it was just the thing. So it's, you know, 
it is what it is. It's <laughs> entertaining to watch. I, you know, it's one of those things where how much is going to actually change? I think more is going to change on the school choice front probably than anything else. And at, at the bottom line is that's going to hurt all the people in rural Oklahoma who voted for him because there is no school choice in rural Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I mean, all the people who voted for him, I think they, I, I don't know if they understand what school choice is, but there is no school choice. Uh, there are no private schools that are outside of a metro area for the most part. There are yeah. no other options. So who knows? It's fluff. It, I, I don't know. You just take it for what it is, and I just kind of laugh it off and watch the, the, the sideshow, and we'll see. It's, it's amazing how many of these rural voters vote for this conservative ideology and leaders when their policies are directly hurting them. Like, for example, in Virginia, there's a county, Pennsylvania County, which is just about as rural as you can get in Virginia. They've been curating this land and this property for years to to bring in a, a corporation to build, basically create a company town, in a sense. And a Chinese corporation was going to build car batteries, and the governor said no because they were Chinese, denying 3,000 jobs to a rural area that's being destroyed by the opioid epidemic and everything. And he just said no because they're Chinese, no other reason. And so he's just killing his base. And those are the, those are the types of decisions that are being made by these amateur hour uh, govern, governor, go, legislators and governors around the country. Well, I'm, I mean, you guys know, in the rural, rural, the rural parts of our country, CRT is being taught all over the place. So, I mean, we got to get that stuff out of the rural schools. We can't, we can't talk about caring about other people. But, but give me, there's no one talking about that in rural, in rural America. But yeah. those are the people who don't, it's, they know it's not in our schools, but we just don't want it to be in the schools that are 100 miles away from us that have literally no basis on our, lev- our, our, our living, our quality of living. There are lots of litter boxes, though, in those schools, right, for kids to use. <laughs> yes. Remember that one being a good talking point for, you know, someone's campaign. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you. I mean, I think we've all kind of said the same thing, and it's like you can't think too long or hearted about it. Otherwise, you start getting, like, super just, yeah. like, depressed. Um, and yet, you know, like, you still have – there's still the job to be done. Like, the kids are still going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. You know? And so the challenge is like, how do you, and I don't think we've ever put on any kind of, we've always been very like blunt and direct in that regard about like not being naively optimistic, but how do you frame this in such a way that is, you know, we still believe in hope, you know, we do. I I think the three of us definitely do. And like, that's why we're still in the business. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I see, he's right. You see some raised eyebrows. This is not going on YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) The stupidity is. The stupidity is winning, and and that's what's frustrating. The stupidity, and it's just outright bullying. You know, the sure. biggest bullies right now are the legislators of our country. They're picking on black kids. They're picking on trans kids. They're picking on all these little fringe issues. And the reality is, most of them don't even believe in this. They're just using this to score political points and not understand it. In the end, 
There are kids actually being hurt by this. There are kids committing suicide. There are kids that are pretty much giving up on school because they're not learning anything about their culture. And so they're playing these political games when there are little lives at stake. And that's the most frustrating part. And like the more you think about it, it just, I don't know, it just pushes you over there. Sometimes for your own mental health, you have to tune out. You know, if in order for me to keep going on, I just can't entertain that stuff that's going on. I need to have a conversation when the reality is removing books from school is probably one of the most dangerous things in America. You know, they're, they're, you know, there's one thing about controlling curriculum, you know, we've always had bad curriculum in America. That's never going to change. But when you're removing kids' options and choices to uh, entertain and learn on their own, that's when we're getting into some dangerous Fahrenheit 451 situations which really need to be addressed. Those are the things that get me going, is those, those attempts to control access to information. That's what that's what bothers me more than anything right now. Also, in a Fahrenheit 451, one of those books that needs to go. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just add that yeah. to the list. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's heavy out there. And, uh, you know, to add to that list of things, I was thinking about just what's going on in our state. Obviously, we're, you know, with Uvalde being like the last session, then, you know, we're trying to oh. respond to that. And we got, we have a lot of, so we have some new protocols in place. And there are a lot of bills that are filed that are going to kick some funds to Texas schools to deal with that. And there's conversations about student mental health and all of those, but none of them actually directly dealing with you know, the thing that caused the harm. So, yeah. um, matter of fact, a handful of neighboring districts, uh, one of my neighboring districts uh, recently approved, their board approved arming teachers. Oh, God. And so, yeah, I don't know. You know, it feels like we're in a weird, weird's not the right adjective here, but like, okay, let, let me let me frame it this way. How, how do we come back from this then? If we just keep going in this direction and we perceive this, you know, the direction to be the wrong direction for kids. What's the, like, you know, Democrats are just like consistently taking like L's in the state of Texas. So like, what's the, what's the response? Like, how do you bring it back? I, I see self-destruction. I mean, I don't think it's anything the Democrats are doing. I think what we're going to see is that the crazier that the conservative gets, they're going to self-destruct, you know, like, for example, that mistake in Virginia in the rural area, that is a major mistake, you know, when you're taking 3,000 jobs out of those towns and when you're making decisions that are taking, you know, large chunks of budgets just because of in that leadership. I think those are the, the things that people feel, you know, because uh, one, of, one of my biggest things in education is so much is allowed to take place in education because there's no diversity amongst educators, so people can afford to sit on the sideline when a lot of these things happen. <clears throat> well, what's happening now is so many things, the conservative policies are so bad that people can't sit on the sidelines. They're losing out. And so what's going to happen is they're going to self-destruct. I mean, we saw the chaos that was the State of the Union and people yelling. And I think people understand that that is not a good way to go. You know, and I think what's going to happen is they're going to see a little more of a backlash coming soon. And the question is, how far 
down the wrong path will the country go? And will it be too late to come back from that? From that? Right. That's, yeah, that's the question. Well, and in, in terms of education, teachers are just going to leave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Teachers that can will leave, do, go teach in another state. I mean, we're talking about it. Um, and, you know, and that's going to degrade things more and more. And at some point, t- parents are going to make, you know, have a realization. I don't, but it may not be when their kids are still in school. I mean, who knows? I mean, I think the, the bigger thing you brought up the state of the union. I mean, what is, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was entertaining. I mean, it was not something that you kind of assume is a part of <laughs> nothing you think is a part of the decorum of that event. And, it, um, but then, you know, our president is dishing it back in, the, in real time. Yeah. And I, you know, I, good, bad, or indifferent, <laughs> everyone's getting pulled into the, in the mud. Um, and then, but there's, that, there's the also thing is like, we have, we, we're always going to be, I think we have to always understand that there's always going to be different views in this country. There's going to be conservative views. There's going to be liberal mm-hmm. views. And good, bad, or indifferent, that's what makes this country, I, I mean, decent um <laughs> to i mean uh, that divert di- those diverse views and then hopefully getting people to understand that hey let's i don't know i don't want all I, the go ahead finish your no i just we need that diversity in thought like i don't think any of us are here to say we just need to go all one direction that I mean that's but to, to your to your end sean where is it where's the line i well, so I would I would contend that there isn't much diversity of thought. Um, we're not seeing more of it; we're seeing less. Yeah, uh, we're seeing like an amplification of thoughts that have always been there. They're just like that. What used to be masked is now unmasked, right? Like, here's the thing: like they're holding a giant sign. It used to be like a little sign on a stick and a flag, and now it's like a big bright neon sign, and where it like we were starting to we, I was watching this thing on Amazon Prime remember when uh when President Obama was elected and they were talking about post racial America you remember <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you remember I like I completely I forgot that they used that term post racial like it was all said and done and it was like Just what yeah like yeah. no like uh, <laughs> it, I'll be honest mo I grew up in the rural South it was like, Oh, the backlash will come. We, you know, whenever right. there's any sort of racial progress in America, the backlash will come. And that's what we're seeing right now is, you know, we had a black president and that part of America lost its mind and it culminated with Donald Trump. And right now it's running with Marjorie Taylor Greene and all the rest of them. There's just outright racism. And for anybody to say that it's a genuine ideology other than white nationalism, is you're just lying to yourself. They're not even hiding what they're saying anymore. They're not even using code words anymore. Woke is now the new N-word. You know, woke means black. That's that. They're just using a different word to say the same thing, and it, it's sad when I get see people that won't call it for what it is. You can't entertain an opinion that denigrates uh, someone's humanity and pretend like it's just the opposite political opinion. You know, I, I that that's where I draw the line. I can't no, sit here and say, yeah, you know, that you have a point. Let's do the both sideism. 
of this. Uh, no, most solidarism is when someone has a decent fact-based opinion about something. Yeah, we can have that conversation, but these idiots out here are just outright just screaming racial, racist, homophobic, xenophobic tropes, and people are eating it up. No, and you're 100%. The, that, the megaphone yeah. has been passed to the wrong... To the wrong people? To, to, yeah. to the wrong people. And, and, and those views and those nationalistic views, those racist views... I think the sad part is it's, I, I, there's a, there's a level of desensitization yeah. that is starting to set in, I think, because that mouthpiece has been so loud and has been amplified really since, since Trump got in office and that, that door opened. Yeah. Um, and I, how to I, shut that? I don't, I don't, I don't, I have, I'm not the person to ask the answer. How to, how does that change? Yeah. I have no freaking clue. I wouldn't even blame Trump. I think it goes back to the Bush administration and the demonization of gay marriage and gay folks. I think they saw something there. It's like, oh, wait, this is a playbook. Let's run it. And then it went from gays to now, okay, let's go to immigrants. Let's go back to black. Black people are always there. They are go-to play. And then now let's bring in the trans issues. Let's bring in all these things. It's, you're arguing just outright idiocy. Ignorance. But because because you're arguing loud, people have just like you said, people are desensitized. Like I'm not arguing with that for person, you know. I'm not going to deal with that issue. And you know, right now in education, that's what's happening. You know, where we're instead of having decent conversations, the idiots are out yelling and out screaming. Everybody and the idiots are way out organized, way more organized, and have more money. You know, you got Moms for Liberty and all these places taking over school boards and firing people at will. And so while we're trying to deal with that while coming out of a pandemic in which our kids are hurting and, you know, really traumatized, it's just a lot for any educators. And most people are saying, peace out. You know, they don't want to deal with it. And so yeah. how do we how do we do it, deal with that? Well, so it makes me think, I mean, I have... A my wife and I have had this conversation at length, you know, with young kids, um, you know, just starting their school careers. Like, you know, is there a place to, I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit here. Cause it's just going to sound like resegregation. <laughs> like, do, do, do we have like our own schools? Like, do we have just like different schools who that they would have to be private schools, uh, sponsored by Apple that says like, well, here are the books that we allow in this school. Here's the curriculum that we allow. We specifically are looking for like these types of teachers and we focus on these sorts of, the thing is you'll lose access to, for a little bit, there'll be some growing pains and you lose access to like, you know, big league sports, uh, high school football, say for example, or those sorts of things. But on the, on the flip side, you know, maybe it means that my son and daughter get to go to a school, you know, that values the things that we value, which I know sounds wild because like that's literally the like word for word. It's the same argument that is being used to break down the public schools. But if I would say, and you know, you, I'm pro public ed and I work for the system, but like if it kept going to answer the question of like 10 years down the road, if it kept going down this road of removal of very specific voices and faces, then I would be eager to get my kids into 
a type of school that goes completely the other way. And they're going to call that woke. They're going to call it whatever. But uh, what I'm saying is, Rodney, will you start this school with me? So <laughs> I can get I'll be, kids. Let me let right me place. be very careful right now because I have been called a segregationist by some folks. Yes, you should check my inbox sometimes. But one of the conversations I always have in in education is what did black communities lose in integration? You know, and school is an area where you can point to a lot of loss. You know, from the firing of 60,000 black educators to losing schools of education at our HBCUs. What did we lose in integration? And if we're going to have any talk of diversifying the pipeline, diversifying curriculum, and uh, being all-inclusive, we have to go back and look at what we got wrong in Brown versus Board of Education and start to repair those things. And you know, we got to get more teachers, more people of color introduced to education in a positive light. And if that requires, and we're seeing it right now, there are a lot, there's a strong, strong homeschool movement for, for black people in America right now. And the numbers show it. There are a lot of communities getting together and saying, let's form our own schools because these schools aren't working. The fortunate part is now those people are being shut out of the charter dollars and things that are coming, you know, from state legislatures right now. But people, the movement has started. People are starting those schools on their own. And I would, it's hard for me because within a movement like that, there's a lot of classism. And so what we're seeing is right. the people who need public education the most are the ones who are going to be at the will of these lawmakers and the people that are making such bad policy and bad decisions. And so that's, that's ultimately my, like I've had this conversation with some local Democrats here. Like I am all for school choice, but you have to understand that there needs to be some equity in the school choice movement. And the fact that Virginia has one of the largest networks of private schools because of resistance to Brown versus board of education but if we could have some of that money diverted to culturally relevant, culturally responsive schools, I'm not against school choice in those types of matters. We're nonprofit, focusing on the community, allowing them to use their tax dollars to service the needs of their community. I'm all for that. But the reality is most people who are talking school, school choice right now are talking for-profit, skimming off the top, making you know, millions of dollars for these corporations while educating the kids with the least amount of money possible. And so that's why I'm against the school choice movement. But I do think there's a conversation to be had about replacing the black educational capital loss and Brown versus Board of Education through school choice. Yeah. Yeah. These are all really interesting theoreticals, to be clear. Yeah. And you brought up the point that I, that is the always brings me back. It's like, yeah, so many kids would just be stuck with like the dregs of, well, I, I didn't have the opportunity to go over to Apple's sponsored school or Google sponsored school. And I don't live in a neighborhood that offers these. So I'm stuck with old. Stuck in the kid. same school that failed my parents 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's really what we're, what we're dealing with in a lot of situations. So, you know, or yeah. you get into the new charter school, um, for profit, but you don't really know that. And yeah, you yeah. get a two week notice that the semester of the school's closing. Yeah. Donda Academy. 
<laughs> yeah, man. That's just well, there's a story here locally that just that just happened here. Yeah. Uh, just a school in the city, and uh, I mean, you're 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 changing families. You're 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 changing family dynamics. You're changing. I mean, that the repercussions from even something experiencing that. To, for the for better or worse, public schools aren't closing down halfway th- in the middle of the year yeah. at the drop of a hat. They, yeah, Kanye, Donda, that's what they did. They kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sent those kids didn't refund the parents, and that's just, I mean, and now the hardships and, and I, on the hardships on the other schools that they're going to all of a sudden an influx of students who. Do we have actual transcripts from these schools? Do we have the information on them that we need to put them in the right places to put them up for? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's all lots of different fingers. Yeah, one one of my goals, you know, this year, you know, is having conversation with some of my folks in rural Virginia. You know, I know quite a few teachers, and maybe we can have some listening sessions with parents and teachers. You know, just say, hey. The, we're the ones that are struggling, the urban areas and the rural. We're the ones that are getting screwed out of all the educational dollars. Let's start getting past this racial thing and start advocating for what our parents need. I mean, I've seen some rural schools that have some of the most outstanding agricultural programs, but that's what serves their community. You know, give them more money, give them the resources to build for their community while giving the urban areas the money necessary to build for their communities. Because the reality is we're facing the same problems, underfunded schools, poor infrastructure, drug abuse, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, the same issues that go on in urban areas in Virginia go on in the rural areas. But we don't see it that way because we're caught up on this country redneck versus urban black guy, you know, let's get past that and start advocating for what the kids need because right now the suburbs are just eating up all the money while the other areas in the, in our state are really struggling. So that is one of my goals is to just have more conversations about what do your kids need. Let's start advocating to get those resources fairly distributed or equitably distributed to those areas of Virginia. Well, and you phrased it right. What do your kids need? Yeah, I mean, that's where the, you know, we've been so distracted by all the other things about what the adults think about what the kids think. What do the adults think the kids need? Get the kids in the room too. What, what do you need this school? What do you need for this school? Because it doesn't, you know, you guys have seen it rural, urban, suburban, you know, we see it more in suburban, obviously, because the opportunities exist and then they're more, they're, they're, you know, more uh, readily available. But a kid in a rural school, an urban school that gets that chance, gets that right connection with a person or a program, program. or an internship or giving them an instrument or giving them some new sneakers to play to be able to excel at the sport, you know. It, it changes the trajectory of the family. It's a game changer. Yeah. And so often them. we talk about generational changes at that point. Yeah. 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 We'll tell you what, guys, let's pivot over. That was, a, I appreciate the conversation, man. Yeah. And this, to keep it from being a two hour long episode, um, <laughs> you know, pivoting to the reflection component, you know, like we, we, we had a good run with the podcast and we'll do some, you know, save your, your heartfelt stuff for the closing remarks that we'll make. But my question to y'all is, and I'll start with the first one. What are your memorable moments from the podcast, who are those guests that really like made you raise some eyebrows, just had some powerful thoughts and discussion 
And, and I'll kick it off with the, the Arkansans against paddling. Oh yes, it was God. for me because like it's it, it's uh, it, like I it was I was just blown away. I mean, and we told fo- folks on that episode if they could see our faces, like that the the just how how severe that problem still is, and that we're fighting those fights, uh, just blew my mind. Like absolutely blew my mind. Uh, and Tate uh, Aldrich just did a great job of kind of capturing what that what that challenge was um who was it jeffrey burton was also with him that's right and so that that one was like the first one where i was not the first one but just when i think of top moments that was a eye opener yeah that 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 one definitely comes to mind because i had no idea that you know it seems like some that those types of barbaric things should be got, done with i thought we right. universally agreed hey beating kids is not a good idea but <laughs> right. To have some places still have that is, you know, I mean, there were so many moments when I think about it. Of course, Jose kicked us off and, oh, yeah. you know, the teacher salary, just great moments. Um, <laughs> off to, just a moment that I love, just uh, Morales. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Morales yeah. is just such a cool guy. <laughs> His energy, know? man. <laughs> yeah. You know me, I'm a King of the Hill guy. I'm a super King of the Hill fan. <laughs> Enrique, that laugh. That laugh reminds me of Enrique on King of the Hill. And it's just so infectious. (laughs) And he has such great stories, but also stories that highlight a point and are really heartfelt, you know. And so having him on the show was definitely one of those moments for me that was just, you know, this guy's amazing. Like, I got a chance to hang out with him for a weekend, you know, when I was Teacher of the Year. And he was just I mean, it's just a good, good dude. And to meet people like that and just seeing him in his community, like the way he was on the podcast, that's how he is. He walks into the room, the kids love him, the parents, the other teachers, and he just lights everything up with the laugh. You can hear the laugh before you even walk into the room, you know? And just, I think more people, when people like that get any sort of spotlight, that's what I'm really you know, happy and proud about just highlighting those folks that bring joy when there's so much to be sad about in this world. Isn't it remarkable when we meet people who are 1000% genuine and how much yes. they stick with you? <laughs> I mean, that's just yes. a trait that is so, I find so enviable. Um, you know, I'll, I really, so I got to listen to you guys every episode, like 7,000 times. Cause I, in editing and doing all that stuff, <laughs> Um, I actually, I, I really, what the, the one that hit me the most as I continued to, when I, I remember this very vividly when I was editing, going through it, Rick Joseph on the school safety one. Uh, yeah. I mean, tell, talking about his neighbor teacher whose kid went to that, that, that school in Michigan, um, and just how close and real that was, um, and the efforts that he was able to take at the state level, at least at least be on, on, on the panels and be on the board of advisories. And I can't remember the exact things, but he was at that state level helping drive hopefully possible change. But just that, that realism of that discussion was, uh, was a hard hitter. And my wife tells me every yeah. day, she goes, I, I think about you walking into a school every single day you leave for work. Um, and that just, you know, that hits, um, especially yeah. like Sean, you know, with, with girls in school now, <laughs> Man, it hits. Um, and it's sad that that's where my brain goes often first time these days. 
But uh, anyway, I thought that was just a really, you know, one of the things that we don't like talking about, right? We'll, we'll talk yeah. about everything else in education, but talking about, you know, because what, what's gone around in circles more than anything else, just, or just as much as everything else, is how to keep schools safe. And yeah. all the, the, uh, the legislation that's needed to truly affect change, um, it can be frustrating because that doesn't seem to get fixed ever. But I really liked just the realism and the real talk on that one. Yeah. That was a great one. I was scrolling through because it says you just needed kind of like a trip down memory lane, man. I remember how the the two dope teachers one was a good one. I felt like yeah. it was <laughs> good in the sense of like it was so different from how we like the it was interesting to see their dynamic and our dynamic. And it was like kind of a contention for me anyway for a little bit. I was like, ah, oh, this is not how we do it. But like nothing but love for like how they did it and just that collaboration, man. I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Don't let's be clear, like thoroughly enjoyed the collabo. And yeah. I wish, we, I mean, I hope we could. I, I thought they were supposed to have us on theirs one time, but psh, I guess they didn't. They didn't like it. They're like, eh, you guys are too yeah. too uh, knowledgeable <laughs> or on like specific policies and stuff. I don't know. I mean, yeah, they, they just go all over the place with their podcast. Yeah. I love it. You know. <laughs> yeah. They have that chemistry. What what are they like five years in now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they, maybe they've been doing it for a minute. Yeah. yeah. So I admire that because yeah. we only made it in a, <laughs> a year. So So I'm looking yeah. at the stats. Do you know which episode was the most listened to episode? Was it Morales? Nope. Wow. Morales is not even in the top five. We love you, man. What? Not his episode's not in the top five. Was uh, it the? Uh, go ahead, Ronnie. What do you think? I don't know. I'm sitting there looking now. Um, I'm looking at what was our top. It has to be something that connected at the moment, and there's so many moments that we don't. I don't know. So the 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 most listened to one is based on Buzzsprout, the podcast host. You know, the home for everything. Uh, Kareem Neal, National Teacher yeah. Hall of Fame, huh. Special Education. Yeah, not surprising. Kareem the, has a strong following. And then Chris Deere's team. episode was number two. TikTok. Yeah. That was a good one, too. That was yeah. a great one. Yeah. That, episode, was, yeah, that episode is what got me on TikTok for a week, and then I got back off. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm partially addicted. I'm actually, you know, there was a thing a couple months ago, the black teacher train on TikTok, and I've connected with so many black educators, you know, just following them on TikTok and huh. having... Co- conversations through direct messaging and seeing some of the great work that they're doing. And honestly, it's a recruitment tool for me. You know, I need to know what the young teachers are thinking and how to connect to these young teachers if we're going to try to get them to come to our district. And it's funny because we're trying to start a TikTok thing in our district and you should see like all the 35, 40-year-old recruiters and all like, how do we work this, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So we're actually looking at some interns who are going to teach us how to use TikTok so that we can do more recruitment efforts on that front. But yeah. I look forward to your dance moves, man. Get out Oh, there. no, we don't dance. Gangsters, <laughs> gangsters don't dance, we boogie. <laughs> it's the old Mac 10 line. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter how you go viral. If it's because it's, you're really awesome or it's just really ridiculous. You get, you'll hit a nerve yeah. either way, hopefully. Yeah. 
That's why you said Mac Tyler. I was thinking of the Fat Joe lyric. Gangsters don't dance. We just throw up our hands and yeah. do the rock do the away. Rock <laughs> away. He got that from an old Mac 10 90s yeah. song. I, well, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. 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 I remember Mercedes and listening to her talk about like charter schools the right way. That one stuck with mm. me. You know, when she, you know, she's Oregon Teacher of the Year and she's trying to start her own, yeah. uh, they're trying to start their own charter school and listening to the hopes and the dreams of what they wanted to do with the charter school and the ins and outs and the politics of doing that. That one kind of stuck with me as well because I'll be honest, one of my dreams is to own, or it's not to own, of course, but to develop my own, our own community-based charter school. So that one stuck with me a little bit as well. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, that is in line with what I was saying about like schools kind of doing their own thing, uh, about where could I send my own kids, you know, like, yeah, Mercedes school for sure would be in that list, no doubt. Um, you know, the live recording, of course, with Juliana was just, now that's an experiential thing with South by Southwest. Yes. It's our only in-person one. So that one was pure joy for me. Uh, Congresswoman Hayes coming through doing what she does as always. And so as just, <laughs> you know, to be on that stage, to, to have two national teachers of the year, should have been three, but you were busy. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Uh, we had two on the mic and it was just, man, that conversation was fire. Um, the room was not nearly as, as crowded as I would have hoped. We had followed some, like <laughs> we followed some powerhouse, like podcast. It was like hip hop and education or something. I forgot who Didn't was they in have there. Did Daryl DMC? Yeah, on that's it? who. It was. That's why. That's what it was. Yeah. So standing room only in that joint, <laughs> and then we got to go in, and it clears out. You know, there's like yes, yeah, Shannon Peoples walks in because you know Shannon's got us always. Yeah, a dozen people, I think, if I'm being honest with myself. And, like, and it is a big room. It's a big room. Yeah. And you're like, y'all don't need to sit back there. Like, <laughs> you could. I, I thought about you earlier today because Kurt and I are going to do South by Southwest this year. And oh, they nice. like do it. And they're like, we got to, they want us to do this interview thing. And they send us an interview um, example. And it was Daryl DMC McDaniels. And I immediately <laughs> thought about you saying, no, we had to go in the room behind DMC. <laughs> I stay following, having to following tough acts, man. You know this. You know this about me. <laughs> oh, DMC following Reverend Al Sharpton. Come on, yeah. Man. I forgot about that one. Oh my gosh! For those who don't know, like, and um, it was the next steps last year, Teacher of the Year. You yeah. know, we all, all the teachers give these, you know, little short inspirational thoughts. And Sean had to go up right after Reverend Al Sharpton. <laughs> Who, like, I mean, was in peak form. Like, Oh, he was in good Reverend it. Al Just mode. killed it, like, so good. And then so we move rooms, and then uh, Sarah Brown Wesling's like, all right, uh, let's hear from one of our facilitators, Sean. We're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, Sean. Yeah. And Kurt came right behind you. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Kurt was, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah. it was a, it was a funny moment though. That was one of those great moments. But we, the teacher stories episode was also cool too. You know, getting to tell those great yeah. teacher stories and have those moments. That, With that Joel. was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun time. Well, I just want to say I'm going to bow and let you guys are going to wrap this up or whenever you feel like it. But 
I just, from, from just purely me, um, having taught, I went to a very diverse high school and I very much valued that experience. I mean, 30%, 30%, 30% very, of three different black, brown, and white. And I really tried to hold on to that. Um, but since then, I've been in very suburban experiences until this last year where I'm, I'm now in the middle of Oklahoma City. But I have learned from you two primarily. I mean, no doubt. Your experiences, um, both as incredible educators and the accolades that have followed both of you guys, but also people of color, guys of color. And I have learned tremendously um, different uh, just point of views, different thoughts, different things that have never crossed my mind as concerns or as worries of, of that have never been a part of my life. Um, both and then the guests that are that you guys have brought on in your connections, I have just personally just grown exponentially and just thinking about things in a in a very different way. And so I just my 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 hats off to both of you. Thanks for letting me be part of this ride. But I have just learned and just getting to hear from all the great guests and the connections that you guys have and the people that you brought in, the discussions that you uh, had and the thoughts that you provoked across the country for people that were listening. Um, just big time. But for me, it was, it pushed me. So thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. You, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, I'm, I was, it was a, it was a joy that you guys entrusted me to make sure that you guys sounded good and did all those things. I appreciate that very much. But, uh, again, it was a good run. You guys talked, you guys covered a lot of really important things and you, you didn't hold back and you guys, you guys were real. And hopefully some, someone's going to take that take that, that torch next. Cause that these conversations have to keep happening and I know they're happening in other parts of the country and other things, but yeah. Yeah. my hope for you guys is I know you guys are both still very involved in these things that you are continually, um, at the forefront of these discussions and you're pushing and, um, and keep doing it guys. Keep doing it. Thanks man. appreciate that. Definitely. You know, it's funny, like when you when you said first sprung to me the idea of let's start a podcast, and I'm just thinking like that's a very oversaturated space right now, and <laughs> especially. And I'll be honest, especially black men, black men, we're not doing well in this podcast space. It's a lot of BS and other things that are out there from from my part of culture and the podcast community. <laughs> but then when you said you know we could talk about education from a policy standpoint. You know, because that's just something a common interest of ours. And that that's what got me hooked because no one's having that conversation, you know. And so that's when, you know, when I got hooked on it. And then once we started doing it, it almost became like my weekly therapy session. You know, that if you go back and check some episodes, there were some episodes in the sense where I just bled on the mic, where I just let out so much that was going on and the schools and what we were dealing with, because it's been such a hard couple years in education, you know? And spaces like this, one of the things I say about education is, um, everybody in education, though, education is an extremely, extremely local thing. It's a very, very local thing. Teachers are localized. Parents, everybody's about what's going on with me right now. And when you're in that world, it seems like everything is crashing, everything is falling apart. But coming on with you guys was a chance to say, there's a much bigger world than what I deal with every day. And they're the same themes 
in every one of our schools. The only difference is each locality has its own little spin on the same issue, how they're going to deal with it or what solutions are being proposed. And one of the things I always say as educators is get to know people around the country. Have conversations with those in other states about what's going on because you get caught up. Educators think like the world is falling in on me. You know, like it's all on me. What am I going to do? And when you start to see it from a bigger view, you tend to view things locally a little different. And it's almost a way of coping with what you're dealing with because you're having conversations. You're finding out what's going on in other places, what's working, what's not working. That's a good idea. Let me try this. In my, and not just Twitter. You know, tw- education Twitter is a junkyard right now. But I'm talking about actual genuine conversations with people. And that's where I feel this podcast gave us. And so to me, it was so therapeutic to have those conversations about, you know, I can't believe people are still paddling kids. You know, I can't believe, you know, that people would not vote for Jenna over Ryan for his Oklahoma State superintendent, those types of things. But it's just a, it's just a shows that education is the same everywhere we go. Just the local politics make it much, much different. And so if all educators start to have these conversations, I honestly think it would slow down the retention rate because number one, you would see things a little differently. And number two, it will start uniting a little more. Educators will start having more comprehensive plans to deal with some of the things we do. And so that's why I'm so thankful for this space. I'm so thankful Sean asked, you know, hey, let's do this podcast. And, you know, this has just been a very therapeutic thing for me. And I want to appreciate Everybody who took the time to listen in, I didn't realize people were listening to people coming out. Hey, you guys got a podcast, so you're on this podcast. What? You know, it's just weird to have people come up and say, hey, you know, or a teacher saying, hey, we listen to your podcast. Not a teacher, but a professor saying we listen to this episode in class. And so it's really nice to have these conversations and we're still having them. We're just far busy <laughs> to, to keep them going on a, on a podcast exactly. level. So I, I just truly appreciate you guys for allowing me to have that space with you all. Man, well, what can I, I mean, yeah, thank you. Uh, and thanks for those closing remarks. And then, you know, when I started this thing, it was it, the Genesis initially was an idea for, I was on the Texas education policy fellowship program. They said, you know, uh, you know, how can you, how can you chip away basically at, at, at ed policy? And it was at the same time that the Nebraska Board of Regents had shot down that anti-CRT stuff. I was like, that's really interesting because Nebraska's politics aren't that different than ours. So how did they do that? Was What were the wheels that were turning? And like you said, like there's just, you needed, we don't zoom out enough because it is so local. I get so wrapped up in where I'm at in Texas and North Texas, like this must then be truth. And that's how I felt in Norman, Oklahoma. This must be the truth for all educators and then when you step back and you're like, oh, it's not, or, or, or there are a lot of other folks who are experiencing this, but they're navigating it in different ways. That is empowering. Uh, that's the thing that could be a make or break decision on whether or not you even stay in this profession. And so when you can kind of <laughs> commiserate, if you want to call it that, or just grow off of the colleagues and and know more about, you know, the conversations that are happening, um, 
that's what it's all about. You know, I'm looking at our about page. I was just like, what did we even put in here? And it was just talking about because we we were coming off of the reopening schools, right? So like the pandemic yeah. and the masks and the social studies curriculum we named in here. And so all that to say, like it has just been um a joy. It's been a privilege. And and yeah, like no one else was really having these conversations uh in the same fashion. We did our homework, Rodney and I, like we looked at other podcasts, we stay up, you know, for the most part, we see what our our people are doing. And it was like, huh, this is a pretty unique niche market. So if you're listening to us still now on this last episode, like, thank you. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't just stumble upon us now. Uh, <laughs> so we are eternally grateful for just to have the the likes and the the the, the listenership. No, I almost said viewership. Um, a very blunt and direct, direct ask of like, hey, we'd still love to engage in these conversations if someone else figured out a, a better structure to house it for us because this is truly an indie podcast it it came out of our own dollars these are our mics that we bought this is our time and effort and so um you know it's not at all that we would hang it up uh it's just like it's it's a lot to to juggle joel and i you know we got the the kiddos they're still they're growing like weeds and uh i'm doing the grad school work and um and, oh, and well, before I before I close it out, like officially, it was like um, there weren't actual educators uh, who were doing the work that were engaged in those conversations uh, on the podcast. We got you. You could find plenty of like organizations that would tell you their takes, and it was coming from a good place. But folks who weren't subject to the challenges of those <laughs> same policies, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm proud of the fact that we did that. I'm proud that we 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 featured some voices that um, we felt needed to be amplified. They do need to be amplified. It's not like a and um, yeah. Thanks, thanks to all the the members of the teachers caucus. And so you look like you have something to say before I say it one more time. I'm, I'm <laughs> thankful I didn't get fired. I think this podcast <laughs> taught me how to say things without going overboard. That's always been one of my, I'm not going to say it's a problem. It's always been one of my traits is that I'm bluntly honest sometimes. And I think this podcast actually taught me how to temper myself and how to say things to not turn people off, but to genuinely engage. And so by having those conversations with you all, I truly appreciate you know, learning those skills from you all. But yeah, I'm still employed. I didn't. I didn't know. That was my we wife's big. That was my wife's <laughs> big concern. She's like, "Are you sure you want to do this? We're we're about to get a new house, and I, I don't. You know, <laughs> she was literally genuinely concerned that I would say something to get me fired. But I've learned to temper myself. It's just something that comes with experience. We made it. We didn't make it. Yeah. We're all still in, employed with the same places that we started this conversation. So I feel yes. like that is a, a good measure of success. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, Joel Deardorff on the boards, producer. We appreciate you. Rodney, always a pleasure. We got to just, uh, maybe we got to find the next big project. We got to be in the same space, man. Definitely, we got definitely. that hip hop album coming out. We got the cover photo for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From, we took that in next steps. <laughs> Featuring gotta, Silk the Shocker on a couple oh, yeah. tracks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we gotta loop Casey Bethel into that joint too. Oh yeah, see if we can work. you know Shannon Peoples made that ass. She said that she felt that we needed to do a music podcast, but from education <laughs> to I don't know. You know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, anyway. we'll see. 
I'm blabbering now. Hey, thanks yeah. for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We love right. you guys. To all the all educators, right. keep your heads up. Keep doing the real work. And with that, this meeting of the Teachers Caucus is now adjourned.